0: I've tried to ask every week, and I'll ask it one more time today How's your fire doing? How is your fire doing? God gave it to you. God has given you life. He's given you passion. He's given you His spirit. How is it doing in your life? Are you feeding it? Are you fanning it into flame? Are you cultivating the environment for it? Um, or is it dying? Wherever you're at, I pray today that you would hopefully come to a place that you can find the resource and the desire, or in the very least, the willingness, even if the desire isn't present, to feed the fire that God has placed inside of you. Um, So before we get started with the message today, I said that we were going to continue to embody our prayer. Um, And I know it can be a little bit uh, tiresome, but that's what this whole sermon series has been about, that even when it's uncomfortable and even when it's not the most convenient, um, would we press in and today especially posture ourselves before the Lord. Um, So I want to invite you again today, um, if you would with me kneel where you're at, you can face me if you'd like to or turn around so that you can put your arms on your chairs to make it easier for you. Um, if it's uncomfortable, I want to invite you to do it. If you are truly physically unable, do not feel ashamed. Um, maybe just prostrate your hands before the Lord. <sighs> we gave praise to God, and now today, as we're going to see in a few moments, we always have to confess before the Lord our need of Him and how off we, by ourselves, can go astray. There's no one righteous, no not one. Father, right now I pray that you would see our hearts. I pray that people here, I'm praying right now, every person here would be humble enough to profess their need of you, to confess how desperately they need you and confess sin that might be in their life. To say, God, this is what I come carrying and I lay it before you. Jesus, search our hearts right now in this place. See every part of it. See all of who we are. We need you, God. Jesus, I pray that For us to fully embrace who you are, we would be willing to fully embrace what we have done and admit how it doesn't save us and admit how, even when we thought we were maybe at times doing what was right, if you've revealed to us that it's off, would we admit that, all right, God, I've been off? and I need you. Can I just invite everybody here to say that with your mouth right now? Just say, I need you, Lord. Lord. So Jesus, we come before you today and we're worshiping you. And now we're coming before you and your word and I pray that it would change our hearts. It would change our minds. It would change all of who we are. I pray that we would walk out of here with a holy posture, a righteous posture, a posture that you have shown us and that you have given us correction in. And it's in Jesus' name that the people of God said amen. 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 Thank you. You can uh, return to your seats. We're not Catholic, um, but there's some good to some practices, um, and I hope that you'll see that today by the end of today's message. So uh, the title of today's message is this, for your glory, God, not mine. For your glory, not mine. How many of you have ever said that before? To God be glory. God receive the glory, whatever it is. Not my glory, for his glory, right? Um, I knew some guys in college that always said, uh, for his glory. Um, And it started to really bother me because everything that they did, they would take selfies of them in like really good outfits and they'd be like, for his glory. I was like, dude, come on. It would bother me. Um, And while I do think that we need to be aware of what and why and how we're saying it, there is also an audacity to that sort of living that I also need to respect where every aspect of those guys lives whether they realized it or not fully they were giving it in glory to God and I wonder what it would look like in our lives if we would truly take every part of who we are everything that we do say and think and we dedicate it to God and to his glory um And today we're going to see how Daniel really, his his prayer is to and for the glory of God. Um, So yesterday I uh, had to take my car to get an alignment. Um, I was driving and it had consistently got considerably worse that as I would gain speed, the steering wheel would start to shake and the whole car would feel like it's wobbling. And sure enough, I made the uh, guess that, okay, this is usually what happens when I need an alignment. I did some work on it, never got it aligned, and I put it off for a little while, Um, but yesterday it culminated and it was like, okay, I can't even go 50 miles an hour now without it shaking. Uh, So this isn't good. So I took it in and I got it aligned. Now, I like to usually try and do uh, as much work on a vehicle that I can do by myself without having to pay for it to be done, uh, just to save some money. Uh, But when it comes to an alignment, I I probably could figure it out, but the videos that I've watched, God bless YouTube, um, the videos that I've watched have like shown that it can be really tricky, and you got to get it just right, and you make your lines and your adjustments and your measurements, and I know me, I do a lot of construction, and I always screw up measurements, so I'm like, I don't want to do that with my car, it's not like just recutting a piece of wood, Um, this is a little bit more expensive and difficult and dangerous, um, so I said, you know what? Not gonna try it. Let me take it to go and get it aligned It's too complicated and difficult and I don't think I can do it. So took it got it aligned and Uh, well, dropped it off And an hour later I got the call saying yep It's aligned and a little part of me was like really that fast Really that fast? It's like it's a good thing, but I also feel a little bit down on myself It's like you made it look that easy like Whatever. Um, but then I realized you know they have the right tools, they have the live, they have everything that they need to be able to get this done um, a little bit more easily and the training and the understanding more than I do. Um, but the alignment was necessary for me to be able to continue to go the, the level and the speed that I need to safely on the road. Um, and I believe that there are a lot of aspects in our spiritual journey with the Lord that give us alignment. Um, and I would argue that the two most important tools, if you will, uh, that we have at our disposal to have or to be spiritually aligned in alignment with God um, is the word of God yes. and prayer. Yes. Um, so let me put it this way. I, uh, in staying with this, um, this example, um, the Bible is the how-to, the, the, the reasoning in how you align, let's say a vehicle, but my life. It shows me what I need to do. It explains in detail how I ought to be and how I ought to live to be spiritually aligned with the Lord. Prayer is the actual process of alignment. Um, Not just prayer, but today as we're focusing in on prayer is a part of the tool set of alignment. Um, The Bible, and here's the deal, you can't have one without the other. If you try and do the process of spiritual alignment without the word, you are going to be seriously misaligned, um, and things are likely going to be worse off than they were before. Um, but if you have just the Bible, the, the understanding of how to be in alignment with God, but you have no prayer, no action, it does you no good. You're just sitting, watching, and gaining understanding without actually seeking and doing and being aligned with the Lord. So, you need both. It's not either or, it's both. And today, again, we're going to see how Daniel exemplifies this in his prayer that is for the glory of God. Um, So, let's jump there. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 9. The scripture will be on the screen in a moment. Um, uh, Concerning the book's genre, this has been debated, but most people would say it's apocalyptic literature. Um, And really, in short, the idea of uh, the apocalypse, not, I mean, historically, but what that word means is it's the idea of unveiling. Um, think of drawing back a curtain and, whoo, I see London, I see France. <laughs> no, it can be unveiling of anything. Um, when a curtain is covering something, like at a car show, they might put a curtain over to block the show of vehicles, and then they draw back the curtain, and ah, wow, you see the beauty of what has been behind the curtain. The idea of apocalypse is unveiling or revealing something. It's not just about the end times, though clearly that's what the Bible is primarily focused on in books like Daniel and Revelation. Today, we're gonna look specifically at Daniel's unveiling of his prayer life. So in other words, we're going to get a behind-the-scenes look at how a prophet, a man of God who was in exile to a foreign nation in captivity, how he prayed. Um, And that might be very relevant for some of us because when we think of believers in biblical times, Babylon, and we try and make the modern-day illustration Uh, to equate what does that look like for us. The idea of being in Babylon is being in a land and in a place and surrounded by a people that do not adhere to God as the one true God and his ways as the ways that you're to follow. And I'm sure that we all might be able to relate to that. Um, Even if it says on the coin, in God we trust and one nation under God, I'm gonna be one to say that this is not a God nation. Um, It might've been founded on it but today when we look around, we're surrounded by leaders and figures who are not seeking God's will and God's way above all else. And I'm simply saying that's the landscape that we find ourselves in today. So to a degree, we can say, okay, um, then what Daniel has to say is gonna be very applicable for me because he was in somewhat of a similar situation, though for Daniel, it was undisputedly worse. Um, so let's pick up in Daniel chapter nine. This is a prayer of Daniel, and it goes to the nineteenth verse of this chapter. Um, and we're not going to read all of it, but we're going to go through a couple little sections. So the first two verses say this: In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, Amed by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I Daniel understood from the scriptures. According to the word the Lord, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Okay, so quickly the Israelites had been led off in captivity by the Babylonians. King Nebuchadnezzar was the guy. You might remember that name from Sunday school or scripture studies. Um, that was the dude who led them off into captivity. So they're in Babylon under Babylonian rule. But at a point in history, the Medo-Persians under King Darius and King Cyrus came and they sieged Nebuchadnezzar and the entire city of Babylon. And right under their noses, they were able to slip into the city by digging a trench under a river that surrounded the city of Babylon and overthrew the Babylonians. And now the Medo-Persians are the rulers who have now acquired all of the provisions and the peoples that were once the Babylonians, which included the people of Israel. At this point in time, it had been nearly 70 years from the transition of power. Some authors and scholars debate it had been 67 years from the time Nebuchadnezzar led the Israelites off in captivity to the land of Babylon, 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 Babylon from Jerusalem. It had been nearly 70 years. The prophet Jeremiah, during the siege of Jerusalem, where Nebuchadnezzar was trying to overthrow them and take them captive, which we know he eventually was successful in, the prophet Jeremiah received a word from the Lord. And you read it and it's a long word and it's a weighty word. But let me read for you a portion that you are probably very familiar with. In fact, it's the very portion that Daniel is referring to as he said he looked to scripture and accounted for the timing in history based on the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah chapter 29, starting in the 10th verse. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me, and when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So you got to get the picture here. Daniel likely is going to a place, whether it's an official gathering, temporary synagogue in the land of Babylon, or in his own home home. He's reading the prophet Jeremiah, the scriptures of the recorded words of the prophet Jeremiah. And he's reading how God says, after 70 years, I will come back and I will take you from captivity and lead you back to the land where you came from, your land, my city, Jerusalem, and there you will prosper. And now Daniel is stopping and he's reflecting on scripture and he's thinking huh let me do a little bit of math here um it's been about a full generation since the time that we were led off in captivity to the land of babylon um i remember my parents talking about what jeremiah said and oh wait wait this this is what it says here oh that's right wait look at the calendar it, yeah it's, it's been about 70 years and then god says you, oh I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need to pray to God and call out to him and cry out to him, and he's going to hear me, and he's going to listen to me. So here's the first point that I want you to understand before we even got to the prayer of Daniel. He's reflecting on Scripture. Daniel has a habit of reflecting on Scripture. His prayers are predicated on what he learns from Scripture, on what he has been given by Scripture. He's not just aimlessly wandering. So we're very impromptu, charismatic people as Pentecostals, especially, you know, within the Assemblies of God, and I'm proud of that. But we have lost something when we don't have a little bit of liturgy. And a lot of people say it's old and stale. Um, It can feel stale, and yet it can give you the alignment that's necessary so that you're not just Aimlessly wandering, wondering for the next flash in the pan or the next firecracker moment where the Holy Spirit's going to explode in, in your presence, and you go, "Oh, thank you, God." Sometimes we need the consistency and the deliberate nature of giving ourselves to the Lord, yes, an right. habitual pattern. And right here, Daniel is showing that he is somebody that reflects on Scripture, and he realizes as he reflects, "Hey, I think it's time." I'm going to start praying the promise of God. God said that after 70 years, he's going to lead us back to Jerusalem. I'm going to start praying this. Verse three, his response to scripture. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Right there, we're going to stop he starts praying. We haven't even looked at the content of his prayer yet. Let's look at the posture of Daniel's prayer. Uh, the first thing that we see recorded here is that Daniel turned his face to God. Um, have you ever talked with somebody and either from the start of the conversation or midway through the conversation, they just pull out their phone. I'm uh-huh, uh-huh, I'm listening. Keep going, keep going. I, I, I want you to know I have no patience for that. Whether I know the person or not, this is one place that I have no problem being that guy. I'm like, I'll start say a few words and uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'm like, I hate it. I hate it so much. It's a personal thing with me. But I don't think anybody here could say that you like it. You might be more tolerable of it, um, and you might lessen the judgment that you have with others because you're just as bad as them. You're like, oh, it's no big deal. Don't be mad at them. You're worse than them. Of course you're going to say that. You get this idea that you don't have the full attention of the person in the moment. They're trying to tell you, my attention's on you, but clearly, literally, physically, their attention is not on you and you know that they might be trying to listen to what you're saying, but other stuff is going on in their mind. At the end of the day, their full attention is not on you, and you feel it. Daniel says, I read the word of the Lord, and what did I do? I stopped and I turned my face towards God. My full attention was on him in this moment. I heard the word of the Lord, and now God, you have my attention. Here I go. Now, this isn't the first time that we see Daniel literally turn his face towards God and his posture towards God. You go back to Daniel chapter 6, the famous story of Daniel in the lion's den. And it says that Daniel was great in all of the land as one of the advisors to the king of the Medo-Persians at this point. And there were a lot of other advisors that got jealous of him and they contrived and they connived into how they can get Daniel to go away. And they stopped and they thought about his whole life and they literally said to themselves, we cannot find any fault in this man to bring the law against him, to get him imprisoned or killed, to get him out of our hair. Um, So here's what we're gonna have to do. We're gonna have to use his honor and his worship of his God against him. They literally say that. And so they go to the king and they say, hey king, we have a great idea. For the next, I think it's 30 days, might be 60 days, um, for the next period of time, Um, we think that you should make a decree to all the land that for this set amount of time, nobody can pray to anybody but you. Nobody but you. And he thought, huh, great idea. Let's do that. And so the king sends out a decree that nobody is to pray to any god of any sort other than to him. The scripture, I love it. Go and read Daniel 6. It literally says, Daniel heard the decree... And he immediately goes home to an upper room where there are windows and he kneels down on the ground and he faces himself towards Jerusalem and he prays morning, noon, and night for all to see. I love this. Daniel's like, this isn't the first time I've been around the block. You remember Nebuchadnezzar and his big old golden statue that he wanted everybody to bow to? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't do it. We've been here before, so you all are not going to scare me with your tactics. I am going to continue to pray to God. And it's believed that chapter 9 took place before chapter 6, and he had all of this idea of the prophecy of Jeremiah at this point. And he goes, they want me to stop turning my face towards God. They want me to forget about God. They want to do away with me, but I'm not going to. And in full sight of everybody around him, three times a day, he faces Jerusalem and he prays to God. Um, he goes on and he says he would fast, or he started to fast in chapter 9, and he put on sackcloth. So there's this idea of grief and mourning uh, with the sackcloth and the ashes, and this idea of quite literal deprivation of sustenance, food and likely water for a period of time that he puts his body through. It's uncomfortable, So here you have this man kneeling three times a day. For some of us, it's really hard to do that. Um, But he's doing it, and who knows how long he's doing it. He's doing it unashamedly, knowing that he's going to have persecution from people around him. And he fasts. He's starving his body, not comfortable. And he's putting himself into a posture of mourning. Not pretty, not exciting, not jovial. Not, yeah, God, you're good. Come and save us. Mourning. He's putting himself through this three times a day. Um, Let me pause here and say this. Um, There are two extremes for prayer that I'll I'll just throw out here right now that I can think of. Um, Number one, I would call this vain external works. Vain external works. I think this is a lot of what Jesus accuses the Pharisees of that they're whitewashed tombs, um, that they, they present a certain way. There are uh, a, a sect of monks in the Philippines to this day that they honor God um, by not to the point of death, but they crucify themselves during Easter. I think that's a bit too far. I think that's a little bit much. Um, but ultimately, it's, why are you doing this? Is it because maybe for some of those monks, they think, I have to do this in order to be saved by God? It's vain, external works. Or like Pharisees, I'm gonna present a certain way to show everybody that I am, but inside, I'm a totally different person. Vain, external works. Um, they could come in different shapes and sizes. Um, I don't believe at all that's what Daniel is using as he prays here. It's not his motivation. The other extreme is what I will call imaginary spiritualization. Um, This idea that I just contrive all of these ideas in my head about who God is, it's very impromptu. It's very ethereal. It's very hippie. It's very, you know, just go with it, like idea. Um, And maybe even something that we teach our kids like Close your eyes, bow your heads, think really hard about that whitewashed Jesus with that perfect beard and mustache and that long flowing hair and the the radiating lights. And we're we're trying to imagine it all right here to to, to come up with this picture that would just fit us and make us feel comfortable and and whole and good inside. That's imaginary spiritualization. That's our idea. That's kind of just, again, it's imagined. It's up here um, I think we have to go somewhere in the middle. I think, um, the middle balances both of these. Um, it takes the good from both of them and marries them together. Um, let me put it for you this way. We are physical beings created by God with a body, but God has also created us as spirit beings with a soul. I don't know what that looks like. I can't scientifically prove that to you, Um, but I know from his word and and who God is, as talked about in his word, that that's who I am. I am a being created body and spirit by God. Um, Now think about it this way. Um, Our bodies are so important in our worship of God, in our living for God. Uh, Think about it this way. God created us with bodies, right? In the beginning, he created He created us, male and female, from the dust, from the rib. There's really nothing that's talked about how he formulated the spirit. He's talking about the body right there. This is very important to God and how he formed us in his image. Um, Jump to the New Testament. Jesus comes how? In the flesh, takes on bodily form, and lives a perfect, sinless life in the flesh, and then dies with his body for us. It's his body. What happens when Jesus' imminent return happens and he comes and resurrects us? What's going to happen? We're going to be given glorified bodies. So there's something about the body in God's ultimate design that is so important that we cannot separate from the reality of our spirituality and our relationship with him, our connection with him. It can't be the extreme of external vain works, and it can't be this extreme of imaginary spiritualization. It has to be something right in the middle. Let me give you a little bit more. Paul says in Romans six twelve through 13, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, the thing that ceases, the thing that dies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves, he's still talking about the body, to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Paul is saying that with your actual body, you can do two different things. You can either dedicate your body and all of its parts and all of its ways to sin and evil, or you can take your body and all of its parts and dedicate it to righteousness, right. godliness, yes. holiness. Yes. It's either or. You, you choose. But he's saying this is done with the body. It's not just something contrived in the mind. You do it with your flesh. Yes. He goes on in chapter 12, verse 1. I read this for you before. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So here's the point that I'm trying to get out here. Based on Daniel and the whole of Scripture, there is this idea of embodied prayer. Not just imaginary, theologically materialized versions of things that are, whatever that is. And not just, I, I, I got I to gotta prove to people by the outward works. No, it's, it's this idea of embodied prayer that we see Daniel doing. Daniel, morning, noon, and night getting down on his knees for all to see, crying out to God, petitioning to God, fasting in prayer, covering himself with ashes and sackcloth on his head. It's so visceral, it's so real, it's what he's using his body for. So let me put it to you this way, embodied prayer turns concepts into reality. It's going from just a thought about what is or even a reflection on what is from God's word and putting it and making it a reality. You can get really philosophical with this and some people will say, well, I think it, therefore it is. And I'm like, no, not. I don't, I don't think that's the case based on anything that I see or even experience as a human being. It's, it's not what I do with what I think and imagine and understand and reflect upon. Embodied prayer turns concept into reality. Let me put it for you this way. It's the soul crying out through the flesh the way that it ought to. Spirit-filled crying out through the flesh. Okay, one more time, let's go back to Daniel. Think about it. He is literally posturing himself towards Jerusalem. He is turning his face towards God, looking at Jerusalem three times a day, praying. The promise of God to return the people to Jerusalem was not just an idea in Daniel's head. He didn't just read about it and reflect upon it in Jeremiah. He says, you're going to bring us back to Jerusalem. I'm going to posture myself towards Jerusalem because that's where we're going. That's where you said you're going to bring us. That's your plan for us. So I fix my face and my posture towards that. I literally put my body in that position. It wasn't just an idea. Nope. Despite the law prohibiting him from prayer, he got down on his knees every day and faced the city of God in prayer. Okay, it doesn't just stop there. Daniel starves his body of sustenance, that which he needs as an act that says, God I need you more than I need this. It's uncomfortable right now, but I need even my body to understand right now that food is not what I need, but God, you are what I need. Not even water right now is what I need. These things, even though prove that I will die without them should I not consume them for a period of time, even more than that, God, I will die if I don't have you in my life you are more important than even food and sustenance itself. He put on sackcloth and ashes as a sign of mourning, representing the sin of himself and all of the people of Israel. Here's the deal. It wasn't just this internalized thought of, God, I'm sorry. It was an outward expression to God of his sorrow. He's not just screwed up. It's God. God, I come before you on my knees in mourning and filled with sorrow, with this sackcloth on my head covered in ashes. Because God, I have been wrong and I have wronged you and I have been faithless and we as a people have been faithless and he's doing it in the sight of all the people. He wants them to see this. Okay, let's get now to his prayer. I pray to the Lord and confess, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. There's the praise. God, you are so good. You are a covenant keeping, never failing, faithful God. Watch this though. That last part says, to those who love him and keep his commands. Almost feels like there's a stipulation here. There's not. And there kind of is. It's really confusing. Verse five. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. And I'll just stop there, and if you go and you read up to verse 15, he continues on this this path of confession. It's all about, we screwed up. We screwed up. It is to our shame that all of this has happened to us, and God, we we don't deserve you. We just don't deserve how good you are. But it kind of seems hopeless, because at the beginning of it, Daniel says, great and awesome covenant-keeping God, you who love us, those who love you and keep your commands, and then goes on for the next breath of Scripture saying, we haven't done any of that. None of it. So there's this reality that we need to come to grips with that we don't deserve the love of God. That within a covenant agreement between two parties, it's you uphold your end of the bargain and I will uphold mine. But the beauty of the covenant of God is that he says you do have a responsibility, but no matter how far you fall short, I'm going to uphold my end of the deal. And if I don't, may I die? Which won't happen to God. So there's this reality of what ought to be that God defies. Yeah, there's punishment. 70 years in captivity. But now God says, I've got a plan for you. A plan to prosper you. A plan to make you great. So Daniel Here's contrasting the opening praise of God to the conduct of himself and all the people. And the majority of this prayer is Daniel confessing his sins and the sins of the people. Daniel is admitting, God, you are faithful and we have been faithless. Now, a quick word on confession. We've talked about it a good bit, um, but let me give you one other idea of it. Confession is not self-loathing or despising yourself. That's the quick and easy way to understand confession, and that's not what it is. It's not self loathing. Simply put, confession is agreeing with God. God, you're right, I'm wrong. Here's why I'm wrong I don't deserve the right that you are. And yet, when I am faithless, he is faithful but for me to fully appreciate the goodness and the greatness and the faithfulness and the loving kindness and the forbearance and the mercy and the grace of God, I have got to come to grips with the fact that I am wrong before God. I've got to agree with that. If I don't, I miss Him. I'm not hearing Him. The heart of what Daniel's prayer is crying out is this. Our sin is great greater than I ever imagined. And your love is greater. Your love is greater, God. God. Romans 5, Paul says, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. More and more and more. Where my sin is, his love, his grace abounds more. It covers more. It is more than my sin. This is the gospel message of Jesus Christ and we're seeing it in the Old Testament before Jesus, hundreds of years before Jesus came into existence, in the flesh. So let me jump to the end of his prayer. Verses 16 through 19 say this, Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem. Your city, your holy hill, the place that Daniel is looking at, he's crying out to God, turn your wrath away from it and turn your wrath away from us, the inhabitants. Our sins, the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord... Look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear our God and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. This this one really blows my mind. It's this phrase right here that I was just in shock about. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Watch this. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive Lord, hear our, hear and act for your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Th- this one really gets me. Like, I don't know what to do with this for myself. I really don't know what to do with this because here's the deal. Daniel is saying, God, Here's my petition, even though I don't deserve it and you are so worthy that you'll still come and do it because that's who you are. Come and deliver your people. But not for our sake. Yours. Slaves in captivity, not for us. The plans and the provisions of prosperity that you prophesied about long ago through Jeremiah not for us. The provision that will come, the the money that will come, the, the harvest, the crops, the produce, the families that will grow, all of that, it's not for us. It's for your glory. It's for your name's sake. Here's a man in captivity who has received such favor and rose through the ranks to be an advisor to the king himself. He says, none of this is for me. And he proves it through his outright rebellion before all the peoples and the inhabitants of the cities by praying to God when he's been prohibited to praying to God. I, I, I really don't know what to do with this because I stop and I was confronted by this reality and I ask myself, is that really the heart of my prayers? When I ask God for financial provision or freedom from any form of sin or help in time of need or when stress is overwhelming or for um, health to my wife and to our marriage or for hardships that I'm going through, do I really pray those things for God? I don't know. Um, and, I'm, and I'm not asking that question towards myself or giving it to you to ask yourselves for you to feel pathetic and horrible and hopeless. What I ultimately think is Daniel is a man who prays and who acts and who believes like this because of the way that he prays and acts in accordance with God's word. I have hope that we all can have an attitude like Daniel should we live like Daniel. Does that make sense? Are, are you Are you picking up what I'm putting down right now. Are you getting it? To have a heart that truly says, God, for your glory and not my glory, and to be able to pray for provision and health and hope and prosperity and freedom and you name it, all for the sake of the glory of God, I believe we can have that attitude and that heart where it's all for the glory of God, regardless of what comes, provision or not if we act like this, if we embody prayer as a start. So here's where we're going to conclude. And then we're just going to spend a moment on our knees in prayer. A moment. I'm not going to read it. I would encourage you to go on and read it. I love it. Immediately following the conclusion of this prayer. No, I gotta read it. It's not gonna be as It's such a good scripture. It's such a good scripture. Hold on, hold on. Bear with me. Daniel chapter nine, jumping down to verse twenty. Here we go. It literally is Gabriel's message about the Anointed One. Verse twenty, Daniel speaking. I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of the people, pleading with the Lord God for Jerusalem, His holy mountain. I'm still praying as I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. He explained to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given to me and now I am here to tell you yeah. what it was, for you are very precious to God. Yeah. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. Thank you. I saw yeah. the Lord, and he heard, and he answered immediately. immediately. Well, he's praying a whole lot. Yeah. <laughs> but immediately it said that God heard him, yeah. and he answered him and sent a messenger with a response. What an awesome scripture. What an awesome story. But you've got to recognize it took a man who embodied prayer, lived prayer through the body that was given him. He did everything he could to be in alignment with God. He didn't just think, what a great prophecy from Jeremiah, through Jeremiah from God. No, no, no. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray that now and I'm literally going to live out what that looks like. The world doesn't want me to do. I'm gonna go right in front of the world in my window and I'm gonna get on my knees three times a day and what I'm gonna do even better is I'm gonna face the very city of promise that God is gonna bring us back to because I need my mind to be fixated on that city, not this city, not this world, not this captivity. This is the way Daniel prayed, and this, I would argue, is a form of prayer that we can learn and embody for ourselves. So um, we've prayed now twice on our knees, and now I'm going to invite you um, to go to your knees one more time. We won't be on them too long, Um, and if you can, um, kneel with me as we close. And I want to go back and I want to take a rule from Daniel's way of prayer. He's praying scripture. This all came from his reflection of scripture. So I want us to reflect on a little bit of scripture ourselves and pray it one by one. Starting with Philippians 1 verse 6, Paul says this, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I want to invite you right now with me leading you. Would you pray those words written by the Apostle Paul that Jesus Christ would carry on the work that he has started in us through to completion. Let's pray that right now. God in heaven, hear our prayer hear our cries to you, hear our petitions to you. Lord, I'm lifting up and I'm echoing right now on all of our behalf the prayer of the Apostle Paul, that he prayed for for the Philippians, that the work, Jesus Christ, that you started in us would be carried through to completion. Father, that in spite of great temptation and the world that's constantly trying to lead us astray, Father, Would you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, give us what we need? And would you yourself carry through to completion your great work in our lives? Father, it can't be our works. It can't be our ways. All we can do is be in step with you and embody who you are and what you have done and what you are saying and doing in our lives. Carry it through to completion, I pray. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, Jesus says. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Let's call on the name of the Lord for peace right now. Father, allow peace to rest on us a peace that makes us whole if our minds and our attitudes are shattered right now and separated and and everywhere all at once. Make us whole right now, Holy Spirit. Fill our lives with a peace that surpasses all understanding, I pray. Peace. Psalm 23, simply the opening words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me. He guides me. No matter where I go, I will fear no evil, for his rod and his staff, they comfort me. The Lord is my shepherd. Shepherd, we call on you right now. We call on you, lead us. Guide us, keep us away from paths of destruction and lead us towards streams of living water. Lead us to green pastures. Lead us to place of provision, of life, of completion, of wholeness, of righteousness, of sanctity, of purity. Lead us. When our enemies surround us, defend us. Let your rod and your staff bring comfort to us. Let us not fear any evil knowing that you are great and our good shepherd go before us and you protect us. Revelation 21 verse four. When Jesus comes, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain—for the old order of things has passed away. I, I, I just want to invite you right now, while you're while you're still kneeling, if you can, raise your hands towards heaven. This is a posture where we are looking and awaiting the imminent return of Jesus where he will establish a new heavens and a new earth where there will be no more weeping, no more tears, but complete and perfect love in the presence and in the glory of our God, our Savior, our King. King, we posture ourselves before you. Father, we wait for the return of your Son, Jesus Christ. We look to that. We wait for that. Let our eyes be fixed on that and not on the kingdom of this world, but on the kingdom of heaven that is yet to fully be realized. Would we look to you right now, God? All of the things of this world, would they would they fall away? Would they be cast aside in this moment as we look to you? We welcome you, God. We welcome your kingdom. We want to see it come on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom, not our own. So, Father, would every aspect of who we are, our jobs, our schooling, our families, our hobbies, would they allow us to be drawn? Would they draw us back to our eyes fixed on the kingdom that is yet to be fully realized, your kingdom? Would we not seek a a ceasing of, of pain and sorrow through this world and through this kingdom, but through our eager expectation of the kingdom that is yet to come? I want to invite you now, stand with me on your feet as we say one more prayer together. I got pain in my knees right now. And I, and I actually want to take a moment and just listen to that pain in my knees. It was, it was hardship. But it was done through an embodiment of prayer. I'm also going to say this. This is just something that I'm personally doing, but um, this week, um, on Thursday, I'm going to be fasting myself. And I just invite anybody that just wants to fast um, the invitation is for you to know that you won't be fasting alone, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm going to fast on Thursday and I would encourage you fast food. Um, we've got to fast something that's hard for us mm-hmm. that, that represents life. Um, so fast from eating food. Jesus, this word that we've pondered, and that we've acted out and that we've, we've acted on through the life of your servant Daniel is it's just a foreshadowing of you. That we're praying, as Daniel did, for your coming and for us to be brought to you in your kingdom that Jerusalem represents. Yes. That we would prosper with you. Yes. That we would live in the plans and the purposes of you, almighty God. Lord, search our hearts if there's anything that has drawn us to this world and has tethered us to this world so that when decrees go out and we're ashamed to embody prayer, that we're ashamed to call on your name, that we're ashamed to posture ourselves towards your kingdom, if there's anything that has tethered us to this world and has separated us from you, would you call it out right now in our lives? call out those things, those practices, those hobbies, those jobs, those mindsets, those attitudes that are tethering us to this world. Call them out right now. Would we be confronted with the reality of the wickedness of this world that we might be covered in? Would we say, you're right, God. You are right. I'm wrong. You're right. And Lord, as we do so, I know, I know you are just to forgive us, to heal us, to hear us, and to act on our behalves for your glory, God. We live for you. Help us to learn that. God, thank you for my church family. Thank you for my brothers and sisters that are here. Thank you for this day that you have given us to embody worship, to embody acts of, 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 of thankfulness to you, God, that we're here in body, present, and, and in spirit. So, Lord, would you be glorified? Would you be praised? And it's in the name of Jesus that we all agree together and said, amen 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 you want to give god praise yeah come on amen hallelujah jesus father hear the praises of your people in this place and would you be well pleased with our voices with our hands with our claps with our standing in the joy of salvation be praised above all else and everybody said one more time amen 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 god bless you uh, hopefully we'll see a Wednesday one more time as we finish praying together.